well, 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 it's the 16th of January 2012 and this is iDeveloper Live episode 39, I think, and hopefully with me on the line, as always, Mr. John Fox. Hello, world. Hello, Scotty. Hello, not yet identified guest. <laughs> well, John, why don't you just go through that process of identification? No, I can't. Okay. You do it. <laughs> you just don't do it the same way. It's Rich Warren. How are you doing, Rich? Very good. How are you guys? Uh, that was a rubbish build-up. Should we try that again? Okay. <laughs> Our guest today is the amazing, the wonderful, the absolutely sensational author, Mr. Rich Warren. How are you, Rich? I'm doing great. Thank was, you. Was that better? Did you prefer the second one? Oh, you know, yeah, whenever you put amazing in front of my name, that's going to make me feel better. I, I think that's true for everyone, though. So. <laughs> That's good, right? Okay. Well, even though you are, I'm sure, completely and utterly amazing, um, not necessarily everybody uh, will know who you are. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. Um, I'm basically an uh, iOS contractor full-time. Um, I uh, originally started doing development um, in Java and switched over to iOS after the companies that I worked for continually kept going out of business um, and struck out of my own um, doing a lot of mostly casual games. And I've also, in the other side of my life as a writer, I've been writing for Mac Tech Magazine for ooh, since 2006, I believe. Um, presented at both of their conferences and have just finished writing a book um, that is creating iOS 5 apps development and is designed by Peach Pit Press. And uh, so how was your, uh, we'll get into some of the, the details in the book in a minute. So how was your, was this your first book? Uh, this is the first um, computer programming book I've done. I did some freelance uh, pen and paper role-playing game writing back in the 90s um, and did a book then, but this is the first uh, tech book. So how was your experience? So, We've had a couple of authors on recently. How was your book writing experience? Is it something you're going to tell all of us to go out there and do, or are you saying, you know, there be dragons here? Well, um, I mean, you you have to really love writing um, in order to do something like this. And I think that requires a certain particular type of crazy. Um, but I have to say that uh, my experience working with Peach Pit was great. I really loved working with them. However, we started this out as an iOS 4 book, and it got delayed for a number of reasons. And we were looking at possibly releasing it about two weeks before um, WWDC this last summer. And we decided that that was probably a bad idea. <laughs> so I went to WWDC and then decided to basically rewrite the whole book. So it ended up being twice as much work as I thought it was going to be. But I think the end result is much better than it would have been. I think that's been a common theme of the authors we've spoken to recently, that it ended up being twice as much work as I thought. In fact, if you're only twice as much, you probably got away with it quite lightly. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it was writing, anything you do, writing, coding, it's always more work than you think. But then this was, then I had to do it twice. So um, <laughs> adding in the normal amount of, of extra work that things are than what you think they're going to be. Yeah. And so that they call you rich for a reason now that you've seen royalties and just money stream in. Are, uh, how are you no. coping with it? Are you, are you seeing a therapist <laughs> to deal with the, the, the change in your, your outset outlook on life? <laughs> um, you know, I, I, you don't really do writing for the money. Um, <gasps> no, so. never. I would never have guessed that, <laughs> but, ever. But I have to say that I've been getting a lot of really positive feedback from people online, on Twitter, um, people coming to my blog, and uh, that's been really great. So it's nice to see that people are actually using the stuff that I've done and, and are getting some benefit out of it. 
I've just realized I have my email app open still on the same machine we're recording from. So people have been hearing binging and bonging for <laughs> the last few minutes as emails have been confining. And so many apologies to everybody out there. Right. Let me guess. Is Dave still not back, back, at the, back at the controls? Well, he was. And then I kicked him out because actually um, it, the ability to sit at the, the desk and use my laptop while doing it was quite good. And so I told him until we can get uh, um, an extension on the desk uh, so that I can do that as well, then he can bog off and I'll do it because I seem to be able to handle his job and he's not really needed anymore. I think it's time to start an online Kickstarter campaign. Get an extension cord for Scotty. <laughs> there we are. No, Dave. Dave will be back. Um, well, at some, at some point. He's been in the office all day today. He's got loads of stuff to do, but he's he's not engineering tonight. There we are. I I have control of the dials. Okay, so um, before we uh, dig into, we're going to talk about iCloud. And this evening, we want to put as much time on that as we possibly can. But uh, uh, let's just pick up on a little bit of news that's been going on this week, because this is a magazine show, um, a current developer affairs show, although we're not covering all the affairs of developers, because that will probably take forever. Um, and uh, so, you know, what's been going on this week, John? You had something you wanted to pick up on. Well, I mean, I've been following this this SOPA bill thing, the Stop Online Piracy Act, which if you're probably looking in your Twitter stream and seeing people with icons with the word SOPA or Stop SOPA, or if you're a snarky monster, some people have been saying Stop Soap. But it, it is, is an extraordinarily bad piece of legislation, which if passed as it, as it is now, as it originally formulated, would just radically change the internet for for the unimaginably worse, and and I'm not exaggerating. Um, in, in a nutshell, it's copyright owners who are trying to make it so that they can force essentially ISPs or companies that that host websites which have links or comment or basically any type of, of free form text or user generated content that might possibly contain links to to copyrighted materials. It, it, it requires that they be shut downable or able to be just essentially removed from the internet by changing the DNS records. So it's, uh, I wanted to bring it up because people have been looking into it. I'm sure most of the listening audience has at least a passing familiarity with it. If, if you don't, um, I'll include in the show notes, some links from Tim O'Reilly, who I think has had the best writing on it of O'Reilly press and O'Reilly conferences, um, who himself is a big publisher. So he has, he, he knows of what he speaks. Um, and the little bit of newsy bit is that finally, kind of two days ago, I think it was two days ago, Obama and the White House kind of came out with a bit of an official response to a, a petition that had been online. Um, for those of you who don't know, the White House for some time has made it possible for, for citizens to, to have petitions which they can redress grievances of their government. And, and in m- almost all cases, they're kind of soundly ignored. It seems this one wasn't so. So they came out with a position saying that he didn't believe the provisions um, that were called for in the bill were, were just. But... You know, with the last legislation that just passed the Defense uh, Appropriations Act, where there were a lot of things that people expected Obama to come out against, and he didn't in the end. So I'm still a little bit nervous. But as it stands right now, the bill is is, is kind of on hold as they're rejiggering the language, and um, it, it it may it may disappear or it may just come back in a different form. But under any circumstances, if you believe in freedom of expression on the internet, and if you believe things like YouTube and Twitter being able to report live on, on events that are going on around the world, this is something you should have a look at. And now I'll shut up. You don't have to shut up. Rich, do you have any opinion on this? Or is it not something you've even followed or, or care about? Well, I mean, it, it's something I care about. And I'm in one of these weird positions as somebody who has copyrighted material. It's, it's uh, you know, something I should care about a lot, but I, I, I tend to, 
it's very frustrating to see people who don't really understand technology try to make laws about technology. And um, and I'm, I'm very frustrated with the kind of the current state of copyright today, where it seems like the entire idea of fair use is getting you know thrown away. And um, I, I don't want everyone to just go rampant and start pirating things. But I, I think there needs to be a, a better balance between you know letting people legitimately use the stuff that they they have purchased and uh, in ways that they want. Um, so SOPA has really concerned me. I'm glad to see that there's some positive mo- movement going on, but I'm, I'm worried that this is going to be a fight that we're going to continue to have to battle for, you know, years and years. Uh, I mean, is, should we be surprised here? Should, should those of us in the tech industry, um, you know, effectively we're asking for special treatment. If we want the people who create the laws for us to understand what we do, then basically that's, you know, no other area of society. Yeah, let's face it, politicians don't understand any of it. So <laughs> you know, why are we so special? But uh, is it because of the, the you know the complex nature? But then lots of things are complex. Is this just the the nature of lawmaking that it's always going to be an ask because the people making the laws don't really understand why and where and what for? Yeah, I think that's a problem. I mean, we can't expect the senators to know everything, but we could expect people in our industry to take, um, you know, a strong role in trying to educate those people who are, who are making the laws. And I think, you know, a lot of groups are doing that. You know, EFF is very active. And um, um, so so it's 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 not totally hopeless, but um, I don't know. It's, it seems like we get reasonable laws for medicine and other things that they don't that the senators don't necessarily know anything about as well. So <laughs> it doesn't seem like it's impossible to ask for. No, but I, I think it's always the big fight between between money and influence. But I don't I don't want this to devolve into a long discussion to take away from iCloud. I just yeah. thought it was worth bringing up in the news. If nothing else, it, it is important if, if if you are involved in software and you use the internet um, and you find benefit from the internet's ability to to have information from a wide variety of sources. You know, you should look into it. Uh, and, and I think you said it very well. I mean, you know, I don't think any copyright holder wants their stuff being pirated wildly, but I don't think that this proposed solution solves that problem. And and and, and especially, it doesn't solve try even try to solve it without doing something that would just I don't know wildly change the the nature of the internet as we've come to to, to know it. Right. Okay. So that's uh, let, let's move on from that then. Oops, I'm a little bit loud out there. Um, okay. So. Uh, one other bit of news, just uh, about an hour before we came on air, and this conference 2012 tickets went on sale, um, and they're selling quite well. So just in case you were in the chat room and uh, you didn't know about that and you haven't bought your ticket yet, yeah, you can multitask. You you are able to look at a web browser and the IRC. So go and have a look at nsconference.com, and maybe we'll catch up with a little bit more on the, what's going on there at the end of the show. Um, Equally, just in case you weren't aware, we do broadcast this live uh, every Monday or most Mondays, and we have an IRC chat room now uh, on Freenode um, with Pound or, or Hash iDeveloper Live. So please feel to come and join us. And we have uh, 20 or so people in the chat room today, which is a nice little number to keep some quite sort of humorous chat going. Right, we're going to talk uh, today about iCloud. So, uh, I mean, you know, iCloud is one of these terms uh, that sort of just begun to be mixed in with everything about um, iOS and, and OS X and you know, it's yes. going to be the saviour of, of the universe and, and everything. So uh, it might be good just to begin by defining what about iCloud are we going to be talking about as opposed to you know, everything. Right. And you know, this is a, a constant problem whenever I try to talk about iCloud. Um, people always want to talk about you know, 
uh, iTunes match or syncing their contacts or stuff like that. And really, from a developer standpoint, all I care about is the, uh, the document storage um, and how what we can actually play with, the, the APIs that we can actually play with. And uh, for that, there's really two APIs. There's the key value data storage, um, which basically lets us uh, synchronize anything we'd put into NSU user defaults across multiple um, devices. And then there's the document storage, which handles uh, storing the document data itself and synchronizing that across the devices. Okay. And, oh, sorry, carry on. So um, I was just going to say that, you know, it, one of the other problems is that even when we limit it to, to this topic area, the, the document storage, um, a lot of people really want iCloud to do things that it doesn't do. They want it to be a platform for like sharing among different users. Um, they want it to be, uh, you know, where they're no longer storing the document on their device, where the document is just strictly in the cloud so that they, they can have, um, use up less memory on their device. And it's really neither of those things. Yeah, you're going to have to have a local copy of the file on the device. And it's really designed for one user syncing between his or her devices, not syncing between different people. So, Yeah, that should be just basically put on top of, of, of your monitor before you start even thinking about iCloud. <laughs> Right. So, and I, and I often get people asking, well, but, but can I do this for, you know, like if I've got five people who I want to sync things through, I'm like, I really, you know, you'll, they'll all have to sign in with the same account and you're going to end up with so much trouble. Like, it's just not worth it. So, um, I, yeah, I, I, I see a lot of people trying to make it do things that it doesn't do and then they get frustrated and think it's crap. So. <laughs> Okay, so that's it. We're basically, remember, it's a single user. We're interested in, in sorting files and, and documents uh, from our applications and, and syncing them across devices for a single user. So that's the context in which we're talking about it. Yes. Okay, so uh, is it good? Well, I, I think it's still a little bit young, but I think it's it's very good. I, I would say that it is probably the most important new feature in iOS 5. Um, and I think that once developers start really implementing it, it um, the users will get really excited about it. And we're probably going to see that as a feature that will be expected in almost every application that we create. Um, however, it's also probably the most complex thing that I've seen Apple add. Um, it's just, you know, orders of magnitude more complex than, you know, any of the other features that they add to iOS. Um, and so it's it's very hard to kind of, there's a lot of moving parts. you got to get them all working and... Probably because of that, I haven't seen a whole lot of people actually adopt iCloud so far. The only app that I regularly use that I can think of is um, Goodreader has iCloud support. And um, for whatever reason, Pocket God has iCloud support. And that of all the applications, that's the one that I see the least need to be able to sync anything between my devices. So <laughs> I'm not sure why it has it, but it does. Uh, it, shows, it shows up in, in, when you look on your, your iCloud storage as having documents saved there. So. So, I mean, is this people are adopting it because they don't feel actually the usage is good enough, or is it because, um, you know, it's just not documented, people don't know? Is it because it's too flaky and so people aren't prepared to support it? You know, what is your gut feeling? Um, my gut feeling is, first off, I think in the beta period uh, leading up to the iOS 5 release, the documentation on iCloud was really, really bad. Um, there were several really vital steps uh, that you had to perform that just were not documented. And so, you know, a bunch of us were working on the, the Apple developer forum and, and sharing notes back and forth and every once in a while getting information from the Apple engineers. 
and we managed to piece together uh, you know, a system that worked and we were able to sync stuff, but we weren't sure whether it was correct or not. And it wasn't until the actual iOS 5 Gold Master came out that they actually documented a lot of the things that we had found and said, yes, you have to do this step. Yes, you have to do that step. So I think that put it off on a bad foot. It probably gave a lot of people, uh, you know, a bad impression about it. And then it's just really complicated. I think um, there isn't a lot of really good resources out for it yet. Um, the documentation, especially if you're doing the core data side, is a bit thin. Um, and so it's, I, I, I think a lot of people look at it and just shy away at this point. So I'm hoping we can fix that partially. Okay. My personal excuse is I'm, I'm waiting for MoneyWell 2 to ship and watch them make sure they don't have any problems. <laughs> <laughs> You're a patient man. Anyway, okay. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the problems is since we don't have a, a, a lot of developers who've done, you know, real world apps um, and a lot of, you know, in the field reports about things that have gone right and things that have gone wrong, we haven't had a chance to develop kind of the best practices for doing this yet. So, so that might intimidate a lot of people. Um, I mean, I like, uh, I, I mean, remember when we were, recording the core data update um uh, it was back during the beta period and so obviously we couldn't really talk about it at that time in, in whatever uh but you know we were trying to sort of match what we were doing with documentation and things to work and basically the whole lot just didn't match up mm-hmm. and um you know i think you know it's a little bit better now but the point is i think you know this is still smacks to me of a technology that maybe isn't quite ready uh, but the trouble is with Apple's internet sort of history that's quite a risky strategy to, to sort of uh, be launching that out there when it's not quite ready I mean if you think of all the problems people have with sync services and everything like that over the years I would have thought they'd been waiting for this to get this exactly right right and, and really I think it's in the testing that I've done, um, it's pretty reliable. There's only been two areas where I've, I've had problems. And one is when you're doing the key value data, and I think this is by design, it will start throttling the changes. So when you're testing, you can send three or four changes back and forth, and then suddenly you're no longer seeing your app update at all. And that's because it's, it's throttled the changes, um, and it makes it very hard to test. And there's just nothing you can do about that. Um, but when you come back later and check, it will have synced everything properly. And then in, when you're using the, uh, the, particularly it seems the, um, UI managed document to do core data, I think there's a race condition there that I just haven't found a workaround. But all the other kind of problems and, and issues that I've run into, I found workarounds for. So, um, mostly it seems to be pretty reliable. Let me ask the, a quick question. So when, when you set these things up and then you, you're wanting to test, what was the test environment you did? I mean, did you have, you know, two, two devices, three devices? Did you ha- try to do it, you know, kind of one on, on, on Wi-Fi network and maybe one on 3G, that type of thing? Well, I was, I was trying to test it where I was doing changes as rapidly as possible and doing simultaneous changes because I thought that would be the areas that would cause the biggest problem. Um, and I think that's a little bit artificial because I think in most cases, you know, you're going to be using it on one device. You'll put that device away. A couple hours later, you'll pick up the other device. So having that instant syncing isn't as, as um, it isn't necessarily as, as key at issue. Um, but I did, I would have two devices on my desk. Um, usually they'd both be on Wi-Fi, which means that they were 
they should be syncing through the Wi-Fi and not going out to the iCloud server. But um, I have also tested them where over longer time periods where I would, you know, use it in one place on one device, shut it down, use it someplace else on another device. Um, and that seemed to be more reliable. I had more trouble when I was doing simultaneous changes on two devices at the same time. Oh, wait, so wait, let me understand something. So that if, if you are, you have two devices on the same Wi-Fi network, it won't at all use iCloud as the intermediary? I did not know that. It's supposed to, I, I'm not sure exactly when it switches over from, uh, from using iCloud to doing it directly, but it is supposed to um, send all the document data directly from one device to the other without having to upload it and download it to iCloud um, in order to save bandwidth and improve speed and performance. And I haven't tested that. I'm, I'm just assuming that it works as advertised, but that's what it's supposed to do. Can I ask another question or should sure, I? Sure, sure. Oh, so, you know, the, 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 the Apple advertisements and, and that must clearly show the, the, the use case was, was just like you said, basically, you know, it's a type of convenience. You, you, you know, set a bookmark somewhere. I assume that's something like a, a user default. It's probably easy to do, or you, mm-hmm. know, you, you purchase a piece of music and then it shows up there. In, in your use case, were you trying to sync mostly metadata or were there also media files or, or image files, things literally data on files that are separate outside the database that you were also trying to sync? Um, I, I hadn't gotten into syncing files. It would be like if you're talking about core data, yeah. um, I had not dealt with uh, the syncing of files that are, out, that are saved outside the database. Um, you will have to handle those separately. It won't do that automatically for you. Um, and so, you know, most of the testing I have done was testing for the book and that, that I just decided was outside the scope of the book. Um, it was, I already have like almost 160 pages of stuff on iCloud. So <laughs> just with, uh, the more basic set. So that will be something that you, you would, would require more work. Um, if you have like images or, or audio or video or stuff like that, that you need to, to manually sync across. Um, but I did do document data. Uh, not just not just like the user defaults type data, um, and and that was working fine. Okay, so maybe it's worth just looking into some of these processes now. Um, yeah, we, we've spoken about quite a lot already, so I'm trying to remember what we've already said. But I think we've mentioned it's basically around two sets of APIs. That's the sort of key value data stuff, um, oh. you know, for using uh, and you know user defaults and whatever, and then document storage. Um, so where do you want to start? Well, the key to value data stuff is really simple, um, so we can kind of go through that real quick. And um, it it is very similar to the um, to the, to the uh, oh shoot, what is that called? The, the NS user defaults in, in the API. Um, basically, you set up the entitlements in your application, um, you get the store, and then you just make the calls. And the calls are almost identical to what you see in NS user defaults to to get and set values. Um, Apple, however, the important key thing to remember is that um, Apple does not recommend switching from MS user defaults to the, the key value data store. It, it recommends just using the key value data store to sync kind of the user defaults. But your app is still running off of the local user defaults. And um, it doesn't support any sort of conflict resolution. So the last update wins. Like I said, it throttles the updates rather drastically, rather quickly. Um, so it's really designed for things that don't change very often. If you're, if you're uh, changing things rapidly, um, pretty soon you'll only be getting updates like every five minutes. And for a lot of apps, that's just not useful. And it has pretty severe memory restrictions on how much data you can put there. So in my opinion, it's 
it's pretty much just used for syncing the user defaults. Um, you can almost just add a second line every time you set the user defaults. You set the key value data store. You can, you need to, it's, it's not as good at automatically synchronizing as the user defaults is. So you'll need to make sure that when the application like goes to the background and all that stuff that you, that you synchronize it. And there's one notification you need to listen to that things have changed in the cloud and that you need to change your, your local values. And that's it. It's it's really simple. Um, it pretty much just works um, within the the limitations that it has. Okay. Well, that sounds nice and simple. So let's let's move straight yeah. on then, because you know um, we want to get as much in as we can. You know, but, right. uh, yeah. But let's let's not rush because if we need to come back and finish, we'll do that. That's not a problem. It's not a problem for me. Hopefully, okay. it's not a problem for you. <laughs> so let's have a look at the you know, document storage. So this is where like, keeping a document in the cloud or between two devices and keeping it in sync. So what's required right. to do document storage with iCloud? So the way the document storage works, first off, is that um, we're basically saving all of our files and documents to kind of a special folder. And then there's a service in the background that will examine that folder. And if there's any changes, it will upload the data to the cloud. And um, if there's any changes to the cloud, it w- you can request to download the data um, and, and update your local file. So you're still dealing with a local file. It's just a local file now in this special um, folder called the, the iCloud container. And so... To, to set up, there's like um, seven steps here that we need to do <clears throat> when we're setting this up. And the first step is you have to set up the application's entitlements that basically uh, that defines first off the what the name of the container, what container you're going to have. And you could have multiple containers in an application. Um, um, and it, it kind of enables iCloud for the application. And then we have to initialize the, the iCloud container. And this is a little bit weird. Um, there's an NS file manager call um, URL for ubiquity container identifier. And according to the documentation, you call this method to get the URL of your container so that you can do read-write operations to that container. But, but as a side effect, this also extends the application sandbox so you can actually do those read-write operations to the container. It, by default, an iOS application can't write outside of its sandbox. So you always have to call this first. And this all, there's another side effect is that this returns nil if um, the user, for example, has doesn't have an iCloud account or has deliberately turned iCloud data sort of syncing off. Um, and that's, this is the only way to tell that, that, that it's been turned off. So really, one of the first things you have to do is you have to call this method, see if it returned nil. If it hasn't, you can then start syncing things through iCloud. Um, then we have, you know, you either need to search for existing documents in iCloud, which is using the NS metadata query, and you can't just do a file search on the container because the files might not be there. If the file is, is only stored in iCloud, you, um, by default, iCloud will, will upload both metadata and the data for any files that you store, and it will push the metadata to all your devices, so every device knows about the data, but the actual data itself is, is only downloaded upon request in order to save bandwidth. So you have to do the NS metadata query to see if there's anything out there that you can actually open. Um, when we create documents, we do them as a two-step process where we first we create it in the sandbox and then we move it into the cloud. Um, you can create it directly into the container, and I've seen a number of people who have done that successfully, but the... Um, the documentation seems to really strongly suggest that it's best to to do it as a two-step process, and I'm not sure why, but I'm afraid of not doing it that way. <laughs> that it may, that they may cause problems, if not now, then in the future. So, um, 
so it, and it and then um, anytime we do file read writes, we have to coordinate those read writes with the the iCloud service. That's so that we're not writing out to our file while it's uploading things to the iCloud or or reading while it's writing. Uh, so we have to use the NS file presenter and the NS coordinator to do that. Um, then we have to deal with all document conflicts and any other document state changes. Um, for example, if it if it's, has errors when saving it or um, when it receives changes, and the, so the UI needs to be updated. So it's quite a lot. Um, and we get a little bit of help. The, the UI document, the UI managed document, will handle some of these for us. But um, it's still a lot of work on the developer side to, to get all of this working. Can I ask my now first question for this? Sure. So the NS file mentor, Earl, for, for Ubiquiti Container Identifier, mm-hmm. is that actually an HTTP URL that's pointing back to, to Apple server somewhere, or is it kind of a local outside your app sandbox file URL? No, it's pointing to, like I said, we have these um, container, they're called containers, but they're basically just a file on your, your device. Uh, so it's a local file or a local, local folder. And it's, is, it, is, it, is it inside your 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 files you know your your files wrapper or is it in some other magical place outside of it? I'm just kind of curious it's outside of the application uh, application sandbox if that's what you're asking so it's it, not it's, uh, yeah okay All right. yeah yeah that's why that's why if you don't call this method if you for example if you only are say if you if you you're not supposed to do this, but if you, for example, save the URL and try to reuse it again later without calling this method, um, you will get uh, errors because it won't be able to pr- successfully read and write to that uh, directory. Okay, then the second quick question, uh, identify and resolve conflicts. So how does, how does that work? It shows you what the, what the data, what, what did the, it gives you information about what the... the 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 up last update time for example was so if you have something that's up in the cloud that's more recent right so you get a notification saying that there's a conflict and then you can um, using the API you can get a, a list of NS file versions for all the different conflicting versions and it will uh, you'll be able to get them in order the mo- most recent update and and all the other conflicting ones but it, it's and, only for the the documents not for for instance a key value pair of some sort I mean you know for instance no okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's only for your document. And um, this is particularly the case when, when you're doing, uh, like, your own reads and writes when you're not using core data. Because core data will, the UI managed document will do automatic um, conflict resolution for us on a per record basis. Um, but if you're, if you're doing your own, you know, um, reading and writing of the data, then you will also have to do your own conflict resolution. And it, there's basically three approaches that Apple recommends um, you can just accept the most recent version, and uh, you know that will undoubtedly lose data at some point. But you know, it's, it's a it's a reasonably it's a very easy uh, conflict resolution system to implement. You can uh, present everything to the user and let them choose, which I think kind of leads to a bad um, uh, bad user experience. experience because you know. I never feel like whenever I see these messages that I, my sync data is, is there's a conflict in it. I never feel like I have enough information to actually make a good decision. So I'd almost rather that the computer just did the best job it could on its own because, um, you know, it, it is putting the responsibility on me. Um, but 
it, it's hard for me to have the time and the and the information I need to actually make that decision correctly. And um, so I think that, that that's really hard to implement well. And then the the third option is to actually do some sort of, of conflict resolution yourself. Um, in the book, the data that we're saving is just an array of, of entries. And so for the conflict resolution, the technique I took was to um, just take like the union of the, of the conflicting arrays. Um, and this had the benefit of meaning that the user's never going to lose data because all the data will always be there. But since when you're looking at two different conflicting versions, if, a, if an entry is in version A, but it's not in version B, I can't tell whether it was added to version A or whether it was deleted from version B. So that I'm always going to assume that it was added. And so the, the data is, uh, um, is, is if you delete data and that's what causes the conflict, that's going to lose and the data will reappear even though you thought you deleted it. So uh, I believe that the UI managed documents um, conflict resolution is actually a three-way uh, conflict resolution. So I think it solves that problem, which is one of the reasons to use it. Okay, that seems like a good a good time to move on because I mean we we've mentioned that uh, we have these things called UI document and uh, UI managed document which sort of help us and make things a little bit easier. Um, uh, let, let, let's start with the UI document. Well, explain a little bit, maybe in brief, what they both are, and then let's dig into one of them and, and just see why and what the differences are with those sort of things. Okay, so UI document is an abstract class, so we have to create our own subclass of it to use it, and then UI managed document is um, a concrete subclass of UI document that's specifically designed for dealing with core data. Um, so if you're not going to deal with core data, you have to make your own subclass and you have to do it yourself. Um, and it's designed to simplify using the iCloud storage, uh, but simplified is not the same as making it simple. And um, So can I just make sure, you don't have to use it, but it makes it easier if you do. It makes it easier if you do. It gives you a lot for free. And in fact, there's, a, I think, a really strong reason to use UI document and UI managed document, even if you're not using iCloud, um, just because I think that uh, we get so much for free from them as far as just the file I.O. goes that, that they would be really useful to use. And then if you decided to add iCloud later, it makes that process simpler. Um, but so for UI document, there's a great... Um, the, one of the WWDC videos where he says, oh, all you need to do is you know, override these two methods and you're done. And that's true, except that that ignores the fact that you still need to write all the code to search for documents, to create new documents, to deal with conflicts and all this other stuff. Uh, that only deals with the raw input and output. Um, what it does for us is uh, it, it basically implements the NS file presenter protocol, uh, which allows us to... Uh, receive notifications that the data has changed, and it also allows other processes to um, kind of force us to write our data. So the, the case where you do that is if you wanted to merge the data, you want everything that has a version of that data to save their, their version so that you can have all the, all the data at, on hand, and then you can try to merge it. Um, so the NS file presenter has, has a method call that will, will cause it to do that. Um, and it creates the NS file coordinators for all the read-write operations. So all of that, the coordination is handed, handled for us. Um, that's only 90% true. If you're doing manual uh, conflict resolution, you might have to create your own file coordinators for specific custom read-write stuff. But, but in general, it handles all that. Um, it... Uh, it provides automatic background saving, so you just tell it that there's been a change has been made, and it will automatically save the document on a background thread for you. Um, it provides undo support, um, and um, 
it can basically save either NS data or NS file wrapper data, depending on whether you want to save a single file or you know a bundle of files. And then UI Managed Document gives us all of this and a little bit more. It will automatically set up the whole course data stack for us. It will uh, look at your application and and take all the models that, that you have and merge them together. Um, it will create sto the store at by default as a uh, SQLite store. Um, it automatically does the per record conflict resolution. Um, we really only need to set two persistent store options on the database, uh, on the on the persistent store, in order to get it to work. Uh, one is the NS persistent store ubiquitous content name key. These are long. We <laughs> <And laughs> have to extend all the podcast by at least twenty minutes to get the new constant yeah. names in. So basically, one is for identifying the the document. It's kind of, you can kind of think of it as the document's name, more or less. It's not really the name, the name, but it but it kind of plays the same role as a file name. It uniquely identifies that document. And the other one um, is the URL for where where you're going to be saving your your transaction logs. And uh, <clears throat> SQLite works or Core Data specifically works very differently than a regular document in that the the database itself is never synced you you only have the local copy and you just work from that um, but all the transaction logs are synced um, so in some cases if you're just creating a single database and and you're storing everything in one database um, you don't even need to move the the document into the cloud all you do is set these two these two keys and uh, it will automatically start syncing the transaction logs back and forth uh, thing, and then things get more complicated, and that that means that then that simplifies everything because you don't need to um, search for the document anymore because you know exactly where the the SQLite database is. It's a local in your sandbox, so you can just open it directly. Um, so you don't need to do the metadata searches. Um, but it it's uh, um, things get more complicated when you want to have multiple documents, and each of the document is its own you know uh, SQL database. Um, Can I ask another question? Yep. So with, with, with file wrapper-based documents, I've seen a problem on the desktop. I haven't done it on, on iOS, but using a file wrapper document where I have a, a SQLite data store, and then I have other files like property lists or little thumbnails. And if you change something that is a file that's within the file wrapper, the whole document seems to have been marked as, dir as dirty, and then all of a sudden you get this, this exception you know, uh, saying that the, the document has been changed by an outside application. Is that something that you've ever seen, or is that a, a problem that, that seems to have been solved, or, or something you just haven't yeah. Honestly, I haven't done a lot with the file wrappers. Um, I know that we're not supposed to, at least as far as iCloud is concerned, um, we're not supposed to use SQLite in iCloud outside of doing it through the official core data. No, it, um, it, wasn't, it wasn't a SQLite core data okay. store, so... It, Right. So if you have a non-SQLite core data store, that's not supported by iCloud. So that, if it's an iCloud-specific issue, that might be causing the problems. Um, but uh, um, in theory, the wrapper is supposed to you know, just update the, the stuff that you've changed. That's the whole point in using it, is that you can um, change just part of your data without having to save and load everything. Um, I, I, haven't, I haven't experimented with them that much. So. Okay. <laughs> Moving along. Um, and then the UI managed document is kind of where uh, I think people get into a lot of trouble. Um, so there are some limitations that come with it. 
um, the, the, the new support for ordered relationships in core data is not supported yet by iCloud. Um, we can't use the mapping models to migrate the schema. Um, lightweight ma- migration is okay, but um, so that, that can potentially be a big uh, limitation if you think you might end up changing your schema. And uh, you can't populate the data store with a pre-existing data file. They're, they're, the document, Apple's documentation has some options for how to get around that, but um, it, that will require more work if you want to do that. Um, so did you, did you just side, say that you cannot change a schema and do a migration to a, a synced core data store? You can't. It's, it doesn't currently support using the mapping models to do the migration. Yeah. Right, so you've got to make sure that everything you do will, will go through automatic migration. Yes, yes, okay. which could be a real limitation. <laughs> no, I mean, I, auto-migration gets better and better and better with every release, and, and it should be the default choice if you can make it. But right. to, that is, you know, that's a, um, a limitation that you really want to know about before you choose this because, you know, um, it still doesn't cover everything and it definitely doesn't right. cover, you know, things like, oh, I now need to split this data into four different, you know, entities because we're getting more complex. You know, that, that sort of doesn't work. So that's something that, you know, to, if you think that might be a future in your application and you want iCloud syncing, you have to make a choice of which is the biggest risk going forward. That's quite because we can't guarantee they're going to support that going forward. I, th- I think they probably will, but we can't guarantee it, can we? Right. Yeah. Yeah. We can't guarantee, it. and we don't know when it will come if it comes. Um, although I, I, and you know, this is something I probably shouldn't talk about because I don't know much about it. But um, I have seen some online posts recently where people have been criticizing using the mapping models to do migration and, and recommending other ways around it. So um, I don't know much about that at all because I, I haven't dug into those articles to see what they were saying. But uh, there, there may be other options to doing you know manual migration um, that might might work for you. So. But then um, from kind of my point of view, or my experience, I should say, the, the issues that I've run into is um, that, um, first off, like I said, it, it, uh, it doesn't sync the, the database. It only syncs the transaction log. But this means that if you delete the document, you need to make sure you go and delete the transaction logs. Otherwise, if, especially if you're doing, dealing with an application that only has one document, um, and then you try to open that document with the same, you know, the same ID and everything again, it will be, an, it will see these old transaction logs and put itself in a bad state and won't work. Um, and where this becomes a key uh, issue is if you delete the application off the device, it deletes all the documents, especially if the document is stored um, in, in, in the sandbox, but it doesn't delete the transaction logs. And so the only way to clear out the transaction logs is actually in code. So you kind of need to put a check there, uh, usually what I do is when, if, if I, if my application doesn't think it has any documents, I go ahead and just manually delete the, everything in the, um, in the, uh, container because there shouldn't be anything in there, um, to get rid of any cruft that's there because you can get into a, a bad state where you, where you delete a document application, reinstall the application, and then suddenly it doesn't work. And it's also very easy. Similarly, it's very easily while doing development to do something wrong that puts the the database in a bad state and it just doesn't work. And so you need, and the only way to clear that out is in code. So you kind of need this this code that will go through and and kind of nuke everything in the container um, uh, 
when you need to to make sure everything's clean and everything's in a good state. Did you you create a a method that you can share with us called nuke everything in the container? Yeah, I uh, in the book I have some sample code that does it. It's not I didn't separate it into a a method. It's just uh, only a couple lines of code. All I did was um, I took the the container URL. And I created a, a, a file a coordinator to do a, a, a write operation for deleting. And then inside that coordinator, I just deleted it using the NS file manager um, to, delete, to delete the URL. And that just deletes everything there. So, so it's pretty simple. It's not very hard. But I, all I do is, you know, whenever I think that I don't have any documents, so there shouldn't be any valid data there, I go ahead and... and, and uh, uh, delete everything that might be there, and that allows me to force it to clean itself by because I can then go into this the settings and clear everything out of the iCloud store. I can delete the app and then reinstall the app, and I, and then the first time I run the app, it'll clean out the the transaction logs and everything will be gone. Um, so that's kind of important because otherwise you, you can really easily get it into a state where it's just not responding and you don't know why everything looks good in code. Um, it's maybe saving locally, but yeah, you just need to go through and delete everything. So but the, the kind of the one problem I haven't been able to solve is there seems to be a race condition between when you get the notifications and when the data is actually available in the store. And so, like I said, I was testing this doing simultaneous changes on two devices and, and doing changes back and forth really rapidly. And every once in a while, I would notice that uh, I would get a notification on the device saying that there had been a change. But when it tried to update the UI, um, it was just updating the same old information that it already had. And when I dug into that more, it it does seem to be um, some sort of race condition where it gets the notification before the information's available. Um, And this isn't a big deal if you're dealing with the app over longer time scales because if I, you know, shut down the app and then restart it five minutes later, um, it will have the correct information. But if you're expecting kind of live instant updates, um, you may not see them and you can inadvertently create conflicts that will then need to be resolved. Um, if it doesn't have the correct up correctly updated information. So whether this is important for your app or not kind of depends on your own app and, and, your own testing. So, I mean, this still needs to get a little bit simpler, doesn't it? Really, I, I, th- I think we're yeah, seeing. I think we're seeing, an, an, you know, a new, um, maybe a bit like. I mean, maybe this is a bit of an extreme example, but you know, maybe a bit like uh, you know the QuickTime APIs. You know, they're gradually becoming more and more uh, wrapped and um, you know simpler to use. You know, this is started off a lot sinking a lot higher than. They did yet. Yeah, we're still in the early days here, aren't we? There needs to be a bit more work, right? And and one of the things that makes this so complicated is almost all of the APIs are using you know like asynchronous block based APIs. And if you're not familiar with that style of code, because that's still relatively new, um, you know you need to get familiar with that fast if you want to use this. Um, and doing this stuff asynchronously, where you know you you set up the request to do the search for documents, and then you don't get the results right away, so you have to you know have a callback that handles that it, it, it makes the code uh, less straightforward than it would otherwise be. And uh, um, it, so it, can, it makes all of this just a little bit more com- complex than is comfortable. And I, okay. So um, John, do you have any more questions on that? No, no, I think, I, 
What's your overall? I mean, I, I, mean, I know you've sort of looked at looked at it, and it doesn't necessarily suit these. But after just listening to Rich uh, speak, is there anything that stuck out to you? Anything that's um, you know made you, you you sort of more nervous or more enthused? I. Th- I th- I would say if if I if I had an app that where I just really everything happened just between one person, it would be a lot easier. And and, and I would say that then then it doesn't seem so daunting. Um, but since we only covered it on from the iOS side, and my only experience with core data so far is on the on the and and and, and managed UI managed documents with file wrappers is on the is on the macOS side. I'd be very curious about the, the, those devilish details about updating files within a file wrapper and managing those changes. Um, it, maybe it just all automatically works right now, but my experience thus far hasn't been good. It wasn't iCloud specific, but I'm figuring that if, if you saw that issue of, of the, trying to determine when the document has changed or what's changed about a document uh, and you're not trying to sync it, when you're trying to sync it, I imagine it just becomes more complicated. It has yeah. more, more room for, for, for things not behaving as you would expect them to. I haven't, you know, I, I haven't done anything on the OS 10 lion side of this, but um, I, you know, as soon as you start sharing data between the two, there's a whole slew of other issues that are going to crop up. For example, dealing with images. You can't just um, save an NS image or a UI image and have it work <laughs> anymore. No. No. Um, so that, that, you know, it's... Um, Getting it to work, I mean, I have a couple good examples. I have a, a third one on my web page where I actually do the multi-document um, uh, through UI managed document. Um, the the data is fairly simple. And, and so getting the basics to work, is it, it's tedious, but if you step through it step at a time, it's not too bad. But every time you add another layer to it, it's just adding a whole, whole new set of complications. So um, uh, the ideal world will be the syncing between where I can have the app on uh, Windows, I can have the app on my Mac, I can have it on all my iOS devices, and and everything will just sync. It's it's the promise that Steve Jobs made, made to us when he he demo, demoed the Pages, and I'm still waiting for <laughs> uh, my desktop pa- version of Pages that will sync with my iCloud version because uh, um, it doesn't do that yet, <laughs> and that's very frustrating because I really want that. So. <sighs> Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Rich. I mean, okay, tell everybody, uh, now you said you've got a lot of stuff in your book about this. I think you mentioned, how many pages did you say you did on iCloud in your book? I, well, it's uh, the two chapters that deal with, uh, I have one chapter that deals with UI document and one chapter that deals with the UI managed document. And between the two of them, I think it's 160 pages. Uh, not all of that is iCloud specific because I do talk about, you know, general file uh, file system saving and core data issues in there, but probably at least a hundred of those 160 pages is iCloud specific, um, just getting the stuff implemented. Um, so it's, it walks you through step-by-step doing it both ways. And, uh, and then, like I said, I've got a third version on my, on my website, which is kind of the, 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 the book covers, uh, um, just saving to a single, core data file, whereas the stuff on the website covers doing multiple documents, each one being their own core data file. So, Okay, uh, so why don't you remind people what the book is called, tell them where they can find it, tell them where your website is, tell them your Twitter, give them your home address and telephone number so they can call <laughs> you, whatever you feel you wish to put out there. Right, so the book is Creating iOS 5 Apps, Development Designs by Peach Pit Press. Um, you can find it on Amazon. Um, hopefully you can find it in bookstores, although I haven't seen it in the wild lately here, although we're rapidly running out of bookstores here, so you know, 
that's neither here nor there. Um, you can also get it from Peach Pit's site directly, and I believe it's available both as, as eBooks through the Kindle store and through the iBook store. So um, you can get those. Um, my website is freelancemadscience.com. Um, I'm going to hopefully keep uh, got like errata for the book there. Some uh, I've got a discussion group where people can ask questions. Um, I'm going to keep posting some you know articles as they if topics as they come up that interest me. Um, and if anybody's interested in a particular topic, please let me know on it. I'll see if I can cover it. And uh, you can follow me at uh, Ricky Warren. It's R I K I W A R E N at Twitter or um, Rich Warren on Google Plus or where I tend to post most things. And there's the order is kind of, you know, the more serious stuff goes to the blog, the semi-serious stuff goes to uh, Google+, and, you know, what my son has shoved up his nose goes to Twitter, so. <laughs> that's that's just, a fairly good distinction of using your social network <laughs> services. Just so you, you can know what you're getting into when you follow me. So. <laughs> okay, that's great. Now, um, we have some copies of, uh, some e-book e copies of Rich's book to give away. Um, so I'm going to do a draw for those. So if you'd like to go into the draw um, for one of those, then please just send me an email. It's scotty at ideveloper.tv. And uh, just put in the subject line, iOS 5 book draw. That's iOS 5 book draw to scotty at ideveloper.tv. And um, on next week's show, we will draw out, I think, let's say three. Uh, three people to get that. Um, I asked uh, a couple of people in the chat room a question about the book. Just will uh, which was someone up there? Um, how many pages were in it? And uh, Casa de Mora and Pardell, you both got the right answer. So if you want to drop me an email at uh, Scotty I Developer TV, you too can have uh, an ebook copy of Rich's book because you bothered to listen to me in the chat room, <laughs> which is quite rare actually. So, um, Rich, I want to thank you for. Um, uh, coming on and uh, really sharing. I know that was, you know, we sort of rushed that a little bit, but I think there was a lot of really sort of good, juicy information, uh, particularly for people who hadn't launched into iCloud Day yet, and I think people are going to find that really, really useful. So thank you very much for that. Oh, you're welcome. I hope people find it useful. No, this is great. It's incredibly useful. Thank you. And um, I know there's a, a lot of other subjects that you enjoyed doing in the book, and we will probably get you back to do some of those if you're up for it. Oh, I'd love to come back. So that's you've great. just said that in front of thousands of people now, so you've got to. Um, so that's every week for the next 17 weeks. No, that's okay. Well, <laughs> uh, we'll just do that. Um, we're going to uh, close down in just a moment because we've uh, got a little bit over our time, but I just thought it was worth carrying on a little bit there. Um, John, remind everybody where they can find you and, and, and all your amazing wonders and wares. Well, since having been uh, arrested and thrown in jail, you can now write to me as prisoner number. No, <laughs> you can find me at memoryminer.com slash blog, where I write sometimes about memory minor. The, and you can find me on Twitter as Jembe, D-J-E-M-B-E, like the West African drum. Excellent. And uh, I am Scotty, and my Twitter handle is uh, MacDevNet. Um, you can find our uh, video training products at iDeveloper.tv. Uh, and that's where you can also get the show notes on this podcast. Uh, NSConference.com, although at this moment in time, we have our two tickets left. Um, there were some rumors on Twitter during the show that it sold out, but a few people had left uh, left tickets in their shopping cart and then the shopping cart timed out. So a few more have just come back online. So if you've just been thinking, oh, I don't know, you've got just a couple of minutes left, I would imagine, to get yourself a ticket and uh, hope to see you at NS Conference. This has been iDeveloper Live episode 39, I think it was. I am going to try and press all the right buttons and turn all the right dials at the right time so that everybody thinks that this is a professional show. The chances of this working are about 
17% is my current guess. Let's give it a go. And uh, until next time, everyone, you take care.